Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. I almost pointed at you, because again, we did not discuss this. We didn't discuss it, but I knew. I was like, I I edited the full length this week, so that means I spiel. Yes. We have a system. We're so smart. Listeners, we have a system. If you don't if you don't know that. <laughs> if you haven't caught on yet from Have we talked enough, about it before? I feel like you mentioned it before. I don't know that we have. But basically, whichever episode we're editing is the one that we do the the talky talk yeah. part at the top on. Yeah. So that we can evenly distribute those. Right. We know whose job it is. Exactly. So, <laughs> a little inside scoop for all yeah, of you. Yeah, now there. you know. Now if you, you don't know? know, now you know. Okay, so I've got some... You know, pretty sad news to start off with. Yeah, both of mine are bad. Great. I don't have anything positive this week. I don't have anything positive, but I have something a little lighter. Okay, so, then we'll end with that. Okay. We also have a sister solidarity story. We do. We do. So hopefully we can get to it. Yes. Okay. So I wanted to start with the fact that German Jews were warned recently by a public official not to wear kippahs in public following a spike in anti-Semitism in Germany. Oh, my God. So just in case you were wondering if hate crimes are still spiking all over the world uh, in recent years. They are. They are. They are alive and they are well and they are awful. Yeah. So this is from a CNN article. And there were a couple because Angela Merkel also spoke about it recently, addressed it recently. I didn't realize she's been chancellor or whatever for like 13 years. I don't understand how their, like, system works. No. Like, do they have term limits, or, like, how does that whole thing go That's what we were asking about Russia last week. Yeah, listen, I need our German and Russian listeners to write in and let us know. Yeah, school us, please. So, um, German Jews have been warned by a leading government official not to wear traditional kippahs in all public settings following a rise in anti-Semitic attacks across the country. Felix Klein, the German government's anti-Semitism commissioner, which they didn't know they had an anti-Semitism commissioner. It's good that they do. It is. I mean, it makes sense. Given their history. Yeah, right. Put somebody in charge of that. Yeah. Um, told the Funke, I'm guessing that's pronounced Funke, media group Saturday, my opinion has unfortunately changed compared with what it used to be. I cannot advise Jews to wear the kippah everywhere all the time in Germany. Klein suggested that the rise in social disinhibition and coarseness was to blame for the worsening situation. The internet and social media have also strongly contributed to this, but Mm -hmm. also the continuous attacks on our culture of remembrance. Yeah, it's it's such a shame that they have to be told not to wear something representing their religion, especially when there is such a dark 
history in that country when it comes to anti-Semitism. Yeah. To be kind of pushed back a little bit, like understand why he's doing it. He's trying to keep people safe. But it is kind of hard to hear that you have to disguise part of yourself in public. Right. As to not be Especially in a country with that kind of history. It would be very, very scary. Um, And it is a religious item of clothing. It uh-huh. would be similar to us asking women to take their hijabs off. Yeah. You know, which is, I mean, I don't know if it would be similar, but in my mind, it seems like it would be similar yeah. because it's a, it's an a religious well, any item sort of, of clothing. Like, any sort of religious oppression, I feel like, is awful. Like, if, if you were wearing a cross necklace and they were saying that that's not yeah, safe, you, you're you not can't allowed to wear, wear those anymore. Yeah. Any sort of like religious oppression to me is very, very sad. I think he's doing this for the right reason, but the actual, um, the actual act of them not being able to wear this well, it's item very unfair and is scary. incredibly unfair that they have to hide something of themselves just to be safe, you know? Yeah, it says the commissioner has since called for specific training for police and other officials in order to combat the spike in anti-Semitic crimes. There is a lot of uncertainty among the police and government officials in dealing with anti-Semitism. Well, I'm glad that he's taking that approach. Yeah, least. but I'm wondering what they're doing. You know I, what I mean? It's probably just the same kind of, like, race relations training, religious sensitivity training and stuff that people here in this country receive. Right, but I'm just wondering as far as, like, what what laws are protecting and things like that. Like, when we talk about gun control here, you know, Trump or whoever will always come out saying what a horrible tragedy it is and then nothing really changes. Like, I guess for me, I'm just wondering, like, what actions are going to be taken. Well, I mean, and so often, so much of this is kind of like that whole thing that happened with the Starbucks yeah. You remember where they were like, we're taking the day off to do, yeah. you know, race sensitivity training or whatever. And it's like, great. But also, so often I feel like that seems like a more symbolic gesture than yeah. something that actually has long-term positive yeah, effects. Yeah, I wonder what the what the effects of that is and how how often it actually works. Because I feel like if you already have these prejudices and then you go to these meetings, I really don't think that hearing someone talk to you in a boring meeting setting for an hour or two hours. Oh, it's hours. not going to help you. It's going to go right over no. their heads. Like, that's not going to change anybody's mind. But at mind. the same time, it's giving police an idea of what to look for, maybe. Maybe they're not totally versed on, on what to look for. Right, and talking to a police force is different than talking to a group at Starbucks, I feel like. Right, yeah, yes. The, the Starbucks employees can't, they're not cops. They can't yeah, do anything Yeah, and we'll see if it's it. enforceable or not, yeah. you know. Um, data released by the Interior Ministry reveals that anti-Semitic uh, hate crimes rose by nearly 20% mm. from 2017 to 18. That's a huge spike, That's 20%. A, in one year, yeah. In one year. Uh, while the number of physical attacks against Jews increased from 37 in uh, 2017 to 69 last year. He says, the word Jew as an insult was not common in my time when I went to school. Now it is, and it's even an insult at schools where there are no Jews, where mm. there are no Jewish students. So so that is a growing concern, and of course, we have to develop strategies to counter that. Yeah, I read another article, the one with um, Angela Merkel, when they were talking, uh, you know, to her, and she was saying how, unfortunately, it's part of our history, it's part of our legacy. There has always been a certain number of anti-Semites in this country, and she said, and this is not something that I realized that there are no schools in Germany that are Jewish schools or Jewish buildings that do not have guards. Like armed guards, really? Um, yeah. So I found that to be to be interesting and sad. But it seems like there is an amount of shame, at least I think, for the average German yes. about what's All happened the Germans there. That I've met when any of that topic 
comes up, it's a right. very shameful and thing And that's what I'm used to hearing Same. about Germany is that they – this is something they never want to happen again. They've confronted their past. And um, so it's kind of a little scary. Yeah. It shakes me a little bit to hear that. <laughs> what year are we living in right now? It's, For real. It's very like, scary. It's and we're all over the map right now in different timelines. Mm-hmm. And somehow, yet we're still living in 2019. And that's right. insane to me. Well, a little bit less solemn. That was a nice sip. Thank you. I got a good slurp. I got. Good. I had a suction from the um from the ice cube. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. good. I like nothing. Never. Mind. <laughs> I was gonna say something, and I was like, no, it doesn't make any sense. Um, so something was brought to my attention almost a week ago, where a girl that I knew from college posted something on her Facebook wall about the feministsforlife.org website. So, where do I begin? So basically, this is a organization, a website that's been around since like the early 70s that is trying to say that they are a pro-life feminist movement and that true feminists would be pro-life, especially because of some of the early feminists and what they stood for. So first I'm going to read some of the kind of like underlying quotes when you first open the website. Because I actually went to the whole website today and I was just like, ugh. It says, abortion is a reflection that we have not met the needs of women. And then it also says, refuse to choose. Women deserve better. Hold on. Okay. (laughs) Already going. Uh, Well, okay, because I'm of a couple minds here. Is there belief that, uh, uh, what was it, the first thing you said? Abortion is a reflection that we have not met the needs of women. By saying that, are they saying that's because women they, don't have other choices? Are they saying They're that- talking about a lot of, like, welfare and poverty stuff, which is all good and great, but it seems very blamey. It's, it's total propaganda. This entire, this entire website and organization... Um, starting from, they have a herstory tab where they talk about Alice Paul, who wrote the original Equal Rights Amendment to um, the Feminists for Life, that early American feminists were pro-life. Women like Susan B. Anthony opposed abortion and sought to address the root causes that drive women to abortion. Yeah, you know what, causes? Yeah, money, status, race. Yeah, that's real, that's a... Listen, we talked about Susan B. Anthony many, many times on this yeah. podcast. We know where we stand with her. Yep. Thank you for everything you did. However, it's real comfortable, Susan, to be yep. able to make that kind of claim as a when white woman of status and yeah. wealth. Like <laughs> you Exactly. Know? I don't think I don't think that was Susan B. Anthony's uh, search for why women are getting abortions. I have I find that very hard to believe. That sounds like a very um insincere thought from somebody like her because these as we've talked about these are women who really the feminist movement started from the abolitionist movement and these are women who completely abandoned that movement when they started fighting for the right to vote so for me to be discussing abortion in that way just seems really hypocritical um they've also started an on-campus support by using quote tools for schools to ensure pregnant women, expectant fathers, parents and birth parents won't be forced to choose between terminating their education or support their children, which I think is great. I I like that there is something available where you can um 
get support and figure out how to have an education and raise a child if that's what you choose to do. Well, I think but all I these... don't believe this is somebody who's saying you can choose to have an abortion or you can choose adoption. Like, I don't think they're ex- they're showing all the options. They're not doing that. No, I doubt it. These organizations should really be working together, yeah. you know, um, to provide all of the options. Well, I think it's wonderful that you want to try and provide mm-hmm. low-income people or couples with more choices. I think as many choices as possible is wonderful. Yeah. But if you are presenting it, from a very one-sided perspective, then you're not helping anybody. Yeah, they they actually do... They say they're the only pro-life group to work in coalition with other women's organizations, but they don't really go into which ones except for um, the Violence Against Women Act they work with. Um, they also support the Lacey Connor Law, known as the Unborn Victims of Violence Act. So this quote under that is upsetting because it says... Abortion, pornography, stalking, intimate partner violence, human trafficking, and sexual assault are all forms of exploitation and violence against women, and inconsistent with feminist principles of nonviolence, nondiscrimination, and justice for all. So the fact that... seems weird to throw pornography in there, but all right. It seems weird to be putting abortion next to pornography, stalking, intimate partner violence, so Also that. Also that. Why Why is abortion in there? Because a, a person cannot always like there's no control over whether or not you're stalked you there's no choice in whether your partner is going to abuse you you do have the choice to watch pornography but whatever i don't think that's a big deal well and not all for i mean sure I'm, there, there are, are ex, there are exploitative forms of pornography, but they're not saying that but they're not they're saying all pornography, pornography which is not the same thing as sex trafficking and it's a dangerous thing to continue to propagate that that those yeah. are the same thing exactly or in the same family and, the fact that, and like abortion is something that a person chooses to do. Now, there are instances where the partner in the situation will force a woman to have an abortion. I know that happens a lot, and women are very upset by being forced to give an abortion. I'm not saying that should happen either. I'm saying that in a world of two healthy, you know, relationship partners, that they can make that choice, and she can make the ultimate choice moving forward on whether or not she wants to have an abortion. And I don't think it should be put in the same topic as violence against women. And I'd like to see the numbers on that as well, because my guess is, although I'm sure it's not zero times, um, my guess is that the percentage or the number of women who are being forced to get abortions is significantly lower than the number of women who are choosing. Probably. I mean, I've heard, I, I watched Lorena a couple months ago and I remember Mm -hmm. that, um, it's the story of Lorena and John Bobbitt, and I remember her talking about John um, literally forcing her into an abortion clinic to have an abortion. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm sure yeah. it happens. A lot of things happen, but percentage-wise, I've known many women who have had abortions for one reason or another. I personally, and this is just anecdotal, don't know any, none of them were forced to get an abortion. They right. chose to do that. And so I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but that right. goes hand in hand with, you know, intimate partner violence. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I don't think that has to do with abortion. I think that has to do with manipulation and violence in a relationship. Right. You know what I yeah. mean? Um, they're saying that this kind of split between the mainstream feminist movement and the anti-abortion movement, which is what they call themselves at the same time. Uh, it was during the second wave when the mainstream feminists said that a woman's moral and legal right to control her fertility is needed to be the fundamental principle and they so the feminists for life distinguish themselves as being pro-woman as opposed to fetal rights organizations to separate themselves uh which frames abortion as harmful to women and argue that women do not truly want to have abortions so 
This week's episode, we're going to be talking about something very similar. That doesn't make any fucking sense. Yes. Well, they're feeding you incorrect information about abortions. And as we're going to talk about in the main episode on Monday, we're going to talk all, all about the misinformation that's out there that is being said to us about abortion. And this is just another um, another form of media that is trying to tell us something. It's, it's very infuriating that they would... Um, that they think that they can speak for all women, first of all. Yeah. That, that there is no woman out there who wants to have an abortion. Yeah. Because, listen, not every single woman who is having an abortion is having one because... Not every single woman who's having an abortion is having one because they can't afford it. Yeah. To have a there, child. There's such an array of reasons. There's so many reasons yeah. that for you to lump them all together... As it just being a matter of circumstance, yeah. and if we just get them, and money, and, like, if we just get them financially able, like, or whatever, that's not always the case. Like, Yeah. Well, and to kind of close this out, this is what one of the, this is what the founder, Pat Golt, says. She says, Feminist for Life recognizes that abortion is a symptom of, not a solution to, the continuing struggles women face in the workplace, on campus, at home, and in the world at large. Which, to me, she's saying a lot of good things that have nothing to do with anything. Well, but here's here's my thing. So, yes, I can... The, the thing that makes this so confusing and difficult is because mm-hmm. they are saying some things that are true. Mm-hmm. Like, women, it does make raising children more difficult because... If you get pregnant, your uh, advancement in the workplace might be in jeopardy. We don't have good maternal care. We, you know, there are we so many uh, good child care after good child born. care. Yeah, there are. You know, it's hard to continue your education. There are so many things. Yeah. that I I think could be considered a factor in women wanting to have an abortion. So I understand that. But why then? And I'd need to see if they're doing this or not. Why are you not combating the root of those problems? Why aren't you lobbying to have these laws changed mm-hmm. so that women receive more help, not just through it your sounds, organization? Yeah, but- it sounds like they, they're they very vague. And that's the thing that I don't like yeah, about show it. me what you're doing. Give it's, me the receipts. Exactly. It's very, very vague. They talk about working with different organizations and that they want to help welfare and they want to help childcare and all this kind of stuff. But I feel like it's one of those... I, I, again, I just feel like it's just strict propaganda. I think it's trying to um, ease women's minds who have some feminist ideals but are pro-life that, oh, no, you're still a feminist because abortion is this. Here's why. And also by swaying those who identify as being feminists and are pro-choice to be given this information that is so off base but yet makes sense puts a question it in your head. It makes just enough sense. It makes just yeah. enough sense for you to start questioning yourself, which you should. You should always question yourself that your beliefs sure are truly sure. what you believe. Yeah. But it, to me it seems like it's it's trying to sway in a completely different way than what I believe feminism is. And I think for everybody, feminism is something different. But I think that one thing that you and I have always said on the show is that feminism is about choices. It's about the choices you make for yourself. And there is no right or wrong choice you make for yourself as long as it's conclusive with who you are. And I've heard a lot of people who, you know, might fall into this category but don't, who say that they are not pro-abortion, they are Mm pro-choice. So it's not saying that they are pro-women going out and getting abortions, but they're not going to step in 
and say that it's not your right well, to do so. And and just the term pro-abortion throws me because we're not like, yeah, like we know this is a very serious decision that you make in your life. We're not like abortion for you, abortion for but you. But you know what? But like, I'm not in your shoes and I don't understand exactly. where you are in your life. So you make so that how decision can I make that has that... nothing to do with exactly. me. Okay. Well. Done with that part. Keegan, go. Uh, do you just have a lighthearted my, thing? It's lighter hearted than I think. Okay, then got. I'll do. I'm gonna go again. So I read an article about the murder of Malaysia Booker and also the trans, black trans women specific rights in Dallas and kind of the segregation in that city, which is very fascinating. So Booker was was 23 when she was shot and killed in Dallas. She was a black transgender woman who has now been added to the list of other black trans women who had also been murdered in Dallas, such as Brittany White, Shade Schuler, and Carla Patricia. Her friend and fellow trans woman Robin Crow is worried that she may be next. None of the killings of these black trans women have been solved. None of the killers have been caught. <laughs> and so they all lived in this place called Oak Lawn, I believe. And that was kind of like the gay hub of Dallas, and that was, um, I don't know if it was super north, but I think it was more north. Yes, it is in North Dallas, and then when you go into South Dallas, it's a little bit more of, like, the poverty-stricken people and things like that, where the north is very wealthy. Um, so they all lived in Oak Lawn, and then gentrification kicked in, and they all kind of went down to the south in areas such as Spring Avenue and Lagow Street, which is a lot more dangerous area to live. Um, Crow says that Booker's death is different as they can't tuck it up under the rug because a month before she died, she was brutally beaten in a video that went viral. The video shows her being beaten while the men hurled anti-gay insults at her. One man was arrested and charged with aggravated assault and is now out on bond. They haven't decided whether it was a hate crime. What the fuck, dude? Yeah, for real. So, like I said, they now of the most of the community lives in South Dallas. Um, they talk a lot about um, how a lot of trans women in the area turn to sex work because if you're trans, it kind of comes with the territory for them. And that, that part, you're going to be that. That's assaulted. what you have. To, well, if you ha- you're going to be assaulted, but also that. No one's going to hire you. You don't have any job prospects. If you want to survive, that's what you have to do. Whether you want to or not, they didn't really talk about, which I'm sure there are people of their own volition. It's like, yes, this is what I will do and I'm fine with it. But that makes me think that there are people who feel circumstantial. Yes, that feel forced into it because they need to survive and they feel objectified and they feel that's the only way that they're going to be able to make a living. So... They're saying now that the like natural place for the community to hang out um, is in those two parts that I mentioned, uh, Legout Street and Spring Avenue, because they don't have high patrol on the ground and they don't have to worry about policemen. But it's very well known that that's kind of the spot. And the fact that it's not heavily patrolled also opens up for a lot of violence. And the police just don't really seem to be doing a whole lot. The community is very upset, saying that we know more about these things than than the cops do. Why is this happening? 
So the historical neglect and tensions between Oak Lawn in North Dallas and Spring and Lagos in South Dallas was on display during a May 23rd town hall, which was supposed to give the community access to the city's police chief, Renee Hall, and the force's LGBT liaison, Amber Roman. It was located in North Dallas, and there was high tension in the room. So it was located in the wealthier part of Dallas. People were people expressed concern about the lack of arrests for Booker's murder and wondered why people in the community seemed to know more than the cops. The police told them that they rely on tips from the community. When someone brought, brought up that the attacker's video can be found on his Facebook page with his name, the police replied, All right, great tip. Go ahead with the number, please, and display the tip line phone number. Are you fucking kidding me? Exactly. Leslie... Just trash. Oh, such total and complete trash. Leslie McMurray, the Resource Transgender Education and Advocacy Coordinator, says... If the message from the federal government is that transgender people are less than, that their lives aren't as important, that they aren't worthy to serve, then people say, oh, what's the loss if, what's the loss if there's one less? After her assault, Booker stayed in a safe house, but she was stubborn and didn't want to be cooped up and let her assailants get the better of her. Crow says, when you're in the trans world, you create a shield to make yourself feel protected. You have to be a trans woman to really understand it. She closes by saying, you live every day not knowing when it's your day to go. Yeah, I don't know what the numbers are, but the numbers of, or the number of transgender women, particularly transgender women of color, particularly black transgender women who are physically assaulted and or murdered every year is extremely high. Yeah. And it's really, really devastating and sad because very often these people also don't have the same kind of familial support. They don't have the same kind of um, resources or places to go. And they don't have the support from their legal system after right. they go, or their cops. Like it's their not, law enforcement, they're less than. Just mm-hmm. exactly what they said. They're seen as less than. Yeah, and yeah, and in we've had this conversation before that like that's why intersectionality is is such a big and important thing. Is mm-hmm. that not every woman faces the same struggle? And when you have somebody who is a person of color, a woman, a sex worker and a member of the lgbtq community specifically transgender specifically transgender you are so far down on the priority list of what people want to give a shit about that it's it's really really this is why we need all feminists to care about all of these issues it's why it's so important because she Okay. Anyway. Yeah, it's it's horrible. And I wanted to bring it up, especially because uh, we are at the end of May. We're heading into June soon, which is Pride Month. And I think that it's particularly important for us right now to educate ourselves in a lot of those things that, you know, if you're not in that community, to really get to know your stuff a little bit during this month. Because I know for me, it's not my reality. So it's important for me to learn right. more and more about yeah. what's going on. Um, well, I was going to close talking about Moby and Natalie Portman, but yes, but I'm not going to because we're heading towards the end of our episode, and That's we weird, have though. a sister solidarity that we're going to uh, read. But so I just really quickly want to end with something a little positive right yeah. off of that, which is that have you seen the new Gillette commercial? I haven't seen the commercial, but I've seen. I just watched I've seen, it. Like ads for it on Facebook, or people like sharing it. And things I like that. I just watched it earlier. And speaking of transgender people, it is 
and listen, because every fucking time we talk about something like this, when we talked about the Nike ad, when we talked about the other Gillette commercial, yeah. we get people coming out of the woodwork saying, you know, they're a company, they're trying to make money, they're capitalizing off of mm, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yes, they are. Of course. We know that. Thank you very much. However, it's still a positive message and a really good way to get it out yeah, for a lot if, of people to see it. Even if that is the case. Yeah, like, it's opportunistic. Well. Clearly, they're advertising for something. Um, however... They released an ad that was um, a transgender man talking Mm -hmm. about, like, you know, his experience being transgender. His dad is sitting with him, and he has his his first shave, and his dad is teaching him how to shave. And it is just the most heartwarming. And at the end, it's just like, I don't know what exactly the wording is, but it's just like your first shave is important no matter how it happens. <laughs> and it's just like... <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I'll, I'll cap off with that. If we want to talk about Moby and Natalie Portman, we will talk about that later. Yeah, that's Listeners, crazy. if you guys want to catch up on that, that shit's a wild ride. Go on Moby's Instagram yeah. and read this shit. Because yeah, Moby is unhinged. This man needs to log the fuck off. Yeah, Un- Someone Plug, needs to sir. pull him back. Sir, unplug. Back up. <laughs> Take a breather. <laughs> Keegan, would you like to read it or do you want me to read it? Um, it doesn't matter. Do you have it pulled up? I have it pulled up. You can read it. My sister solidarity stories all include my awesome and amazing boyfriend. We've been together for over a year and a half, and he's been learning about feminism for a little while now, but was always hushed by anyone he tried to talk to besides me. We always sit and have very open discussions about all and any and all feminist issues. One recently was me venting about everyone telling me how I'll change my mind about not wanting kids ever and how that just perpetuates that women are baby-making machines and aren't complete unless we have children. He just looked at me with this face of just pure understanding and goes, I've never thought about it that way. That's so fucked. You're a complete person without any other person attached to you. Girl, I almost burst into tears. I would have too. (laughs) Another sister solidarity story with my boy was two of his cousins watching my Instagram story that is mostly posts about feminist issues, politics, and mental illness awareness, and asking the boy if I'm a feminist at separate times. To both of his cousins' answers, yeah, what about it? When the one asked him, well, what about you? The boyfriend goes, uh, yeah, what about it? And the other asks, does she hate men then? And the boyfriend went and educated his cousin about what feminism truly is and why we both identify as one. As someone who has been self-proclaimed feminist since I was 13, I'm now 20, it is so amazing to find someone who doesn't shit on my views, as most boys I've come across do, but takes time to educate himself and feels open enough to ask me questions and really, truly listens to my responses. Sorry about how long these both are, and I just wanted to ex- an excuse to talk about my openly feminist boyfriend, Ray John, y'all, Jesse. That's wonderful. I mean... Never apologize. Don't we all love talking about our feminist men in our lives? That's exactly we right. We love it. Keegan and I are both very, very lucky. Um, I loved that. I loved that it was a different spin on Sister Solidarity because it had to do with a relationship. I think that that still showed a lot of um, solidarity and understanding and it seems like you're really seen by him which I right. think is and really important. It's also something for the men in our lives to note that it's not just being in support of us when you're with us. It's yeah. also being in support of us whenever other people may say something when yeah. we are not present. You know, um because what we need are male feminist allies who will speak up in their circles of other men. Exactly. You know, so that's an incredible, wonderful thing that yeah. I'm, I'm so happy he did. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. It, it's very, 
it's very brave in a way, although it, it shouldn't be, but it is because I think that everyone's always afraid of being scrutinized or Absolutely. not being accepted by a group. Yeah, of course. So, you know, he's talking to his cousins about this and being and educating them on what being a feminist really is, I think is is a really wonderful, strong thing that he did and really is showing him showing you how much he loves you. Absolutely. Thank you so, so much sweet. for writing in. That's so lovely. Thank you. If you have any sister solidarity stories that you would like to submit to us or if you have any coming out stories or fatherhood stories, we're still really looking for those mm-hmm. uh, for our upcoming episodes. Please go ahead and write those into us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram. That's where all the shit goes down. That's the best place to be if you want to hang out. Mm-hmm. Um, our Instagram is at angry neighborhood feminist. You can send us a DM there. I was also going to say really quick what the deadlines are for the fatherhood and the coming out stories. Yes. So if you could have all of your fatherhood stories into us by June 11th, that would be great. And all of your coming out stories into us by June 18th. Those are our deadlines for the two, and I will do my best to set out reminders on social media and all that kind of stuff so you guys can send in your stories and remember when they're due. Awesome. So uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Yamf Podcast, Y-A-N-F Podcast. You can also get us on Facebook. There is a group and a business page. You can leave us a review on our business page or on Apple Podcasts. We use those for our review stays Tuesdays. Review stays Tuesdays. Reviews wow. Days Tuesdays. Um, we use those for Reviews Day Tuesday. So we love getting those. It just brightens our whole day right up. Yep. And if you are looking for a way to support us that doesn't cost you a thing, you can go and install the Radio Public app on your device yep. and listen to us on Radio Public. Doesn't cost anything for you. Helps us out a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I think that is everything. Yeah. So you guys, with all that being said, we encourage you to rage on. Bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.